Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. All right, let's turn today to Acts chapter 2. So we continue to look here at this sermon that Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. And you know, this, this sermon that Peter preaches here uh, is really foundational to, to the message that the rest of the disciples would have been preaching. It's that message that you see proclaimed early in, in the book of Acts. Um, and, and you see, we've, as we've come down through the things that Peter preaches here, Uh, Remember, he says that what's going on here on the day of Pentecost is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel prophesied, how the the, uh, um, Spirit of God would be poured out. Uh, We saw how last time how he then talked about Jesus of Nazareth, how his works had shown that he was approved of God, and yet they took him and they crucified him, and yet all of that was according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And he, he says there in verse 24 that God had raised up then Christ, that he had loosed the pains of death because it wasn't possible that he should be holden of it. Now in verse 25, um, he's, he's going to refer especially to some things that were written by David. Now, David, remember, David is the second king of Israel, but David was also a prophet. And much of what David wrote, and and you have many of the psalms are written by David, many of those psalms are prophetic of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see in verse 25, it says, For David speaketh concerning him. Now, the him there is the Lord Jesus Christ. And and, uh, Peter quotes... Uh, the psalm there, and he says, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Now, if you, if you put a hand here and turn back to Psalm 16, which is what he's quoting, uh, the 16th Psalm, um, he quotes several verses of the Psalm, but let's go back and, and look at it. Uh, psalm 16, you see that this is written by David, and it, it says, Preserve me, O God, for the, in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance, and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Now you see that's where Peter begins to quote there. Um, you, you may notice if you just compare the, the wording there in Psalm 16 with the wording in Acts chapter 2. 
um, realize that, that when the New Testament is quoting the Old Testament, okay, we're reading the Bible in English, right? Now, the, Hebrew, the, the Old Testament is originally written in Hebrew. The New Testament is originally written in Greek. So when, when Peter, for instance, quotes the Old Testament here in Acts 2, he is quoting what was originally written in Hebrew. He's quoting it in Greek. So you already have a translation there, and then we have it translated in English. So, so realize that sometimes there's some wording changes, but realize as well that when Peter is speaking here, he's not just, uh, that, well, this, this shouldn't call, make you cast doubt on the scriptures. Because when Peter's speaking here, he is speaking full of the Holy Ghost. So essentially the Holy Ghost is translating from Hebrew into Greek, right? Now, if you notice just in that, that uh, verse, verse 8, Okay, of Psalm 16, where he says, I have set the Lord always before me. If you look at how Peter quotes that in Acts chapter 2, notice it says, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. Now, that's, that's a little bit different, right? Instead of I've set the Lord before me, here uh, Peter quotes it as, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, because Peter is able to recognize that this passage is prophetic. And so he has not... not David just saying, I set the Lord before me, but I foresaw. He's foreseeing something. He's seeing something that it isn't just applicable to David. Certainly when David talks about putting his trust in the Lord there in that passage, uh, certainly David had trust in the Lord, right? But, um, but realize he's foreseeing something about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he foresees, you see, he says, um, I set the Lord back in Psalm 16, verse 8, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Now, there's going to be two Psalms that, that Peter quotes here, and both of them talk in several places about this right hand and about Christ being set at the Lord's right hand. Realize that the, the right hand here is not necessarily supposed to be taken just as a, a physical location. But think about what the right hand is. Your right hand, for most people, is what you, what you do most things with. You're most likely, your right hand, your right arm is stronger, it's more dexterous than your left hand. And most of what you do, you do with your right hand. And here when it talks about him setting the Lord at his right hand and the Lord setting him at his right hand, when, when he says in uh, Psalm 16, verse 8, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. What, what he's doing, what the speaker is doing there is he's saying that the Lord himself is his strength, right? That's what he's talking about, the right hand. Um, that, that right side, you know, there were certain sacrifices in the Old Testament where they would put the blood on the right thumb and the big toe of the right foot, and it was that right side, and the idea was it was a dedication of one's strength to God. And here, David and, and by prophecy, the Lord Jesus Christ, is viewing not himself as his own strength, but he's viewing the Lord as his strength at his right hand. That's what it's talking about, at the right hand. Um, and the fact that Christ is at the right hand of the Father, I mean, that's a place of honor as well. It's, a, you know, it's that kind of thing as well. But you realize there are passages that talk about the right arm of the Lord, and really they're talking about Christ as being that right arm. Christ is the, you could say he's the, the active power of God. You see that manifest in Christ. And so here he says, he's, though that he has set the Lord at his right hand, and because of that he says, I shall not be moved. If we put our, our confidence in our own strength, 
Our own strength is finite. Our own strength is uh, certainly capable of moving and often does. But you see, he says here he'll not be moved because the Lord is at his right hand, because the Lord is his strength. In verse 9, he says, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. And verse 10 says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now, if we go back to to Acts chapter 2 here, uh, Peter quotes the, the passage and then he makes application of it. You see what he says in verse 29 of Acts chapter 2? Men and brethren... Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption." You see there, Peter, first of all, says David can't be speaking about himself. Because David is dead and buried. He says his sepulcher is with us. David wasn't speaking about himself. He was speaking about Christ. He says that his soul was not left in hell. Now, if you look back at Psalm 16. um, Psalm 16, look at the, the first few verses again. Now, Peter doesn't quote these verses, but they help to set the context for the part that Peter does quote. You see, Psalm 16, again, verse 1, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Now, when he talks about the saints that are in the earth there, here, again, the whole passage is attributed to Christ. Now, some might... might, uh, question that and and say, well, in what sense would Christ say that his goodness does not extend to to that of the Lord? But remember, Christ here uh, in many of these psalms is portrayed as as the one who is bearing sin, right? So he's identified with the sinner so that whether it be David or Christ, both of them can say, in the context of this passage, both of them can say um, that their goodness does not extend to the Lord. But you see what what he says? He says, but to the saints that are in the earth. Now, he doesn't say the saints that are on the earth. He's not talking about the saints that are alive on the earth, but he's talking about saints that are in the earth. All right? Now, in the old, when you go back into the Old Testament, you know, we, we talk about how when we die, to be, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and how we, when we die, our soul and our spirit go to heaven. Right? But realize that wasn't always true. That wasn't always true of, of believers. When you go back into the Old Testament, when it talks about believers and where their soul goes after they die, it talks about the pit or the grave or hell. Now, usually when we talk about hell, we're talking about a, a place of torment, a place of judgment, and certainly the Bible talks about hell as that. But realize that, for instance, when you go back into the Old Testament, the word is sheol. That's the word for hell. And, and again, it's sometimes translated as hell, but sometimes just translated as the grave or the pit. Um, believers in the Old Testament, when they died, their soul went not into heaven, but into the earth. Okay? Uh, where did the Lord Jesus Christ say that he was going to be for the three days and three nights between his death and his resurrection? He said that as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights where? In the heart of the earth. Okay? 
And so there was this place in the earth where believers or unbelievers, where their souls went. Now, for the believers, that was a place of rest. There was a place of rest there in the earth. For unbelievers, a place of torment. Uh, Go over to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, you have the Lord here uh, telling a, a story about a, an unnamed rich man and another man named Lazarus. And the rich man is an unbeliever and Lazarus is a believer. Uh, he describes how both of them die. And describing the, the rich man, it says in verse 23 that in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us, but would come from them, that would come from thence. You see, the description of the setting there, it's not that the rich man's in hell and Lazarus is in heaven. They're both in the same general area, right? They can look across, he can look across this gulf and see uh, Lazarus over there and Abraham, and they can look back and see him. But you see, there's these two places. There's this place of torment, and there's this place that's described as being in Abraham's bosom, this place of, of rest. And so while you still have that division between believers and unbelievers, they're both there prior to the, to the resurrection of Christ. They are both in the earth, in the heart of the earth. Okay? And that place is called, in Hebrew it's called Sheol, uh, which in English, again, would be the pit or the grave. Um, in, you know, in the New Testament, you have several Greek words that are translated as hell. Usually in the New Testament, when it, it uses the word hell, it's referring usually only to the, that place of torment. But there are a few places. We see there where Peter quotes that, and he quotes Christ as saying that his soul was not left in hell. Now, where did Christ's soul go then for those three days? His soul went to hell. Now, that sounds strange to say that, doesn't it? That Christ went to hell. And I'll tell you that there are some, there are some, some dangerous false doctrines regarding that as well. Uh, there, are, there are people out there who teach that Jesus not only paid for our sins in his death on the cross, but that he went into torment in hell and, and you know, paid, continued to pay for sins there. Uh, of course, biblically, that position is wrong. Christ, before he gives up the ghost, says it is finished. He didn't have to continue to suffer in hell. He didn't go into that place of torment in hell, but rather he went where the saints were in the earth. What does he say? He says, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth. And that's where Christ went during that time. But you see, he wasn't left there. His soul wasn't left there. Um, uh, that place, by the way, is also referred to, you know, previous to the, to the resurrection, it's referred to as paradise. Uh, for instance, when Christ says to the, the believing thief on the cross, when he says, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Well, where did Christ go that day? He didn't go into heaven and that thief didn't go into heaven. They went into that place of Abraham's bosom. So to refer to it as hell, because we have such a, you know, such a negative connotation, we always think of torments with hell, sometimes we can maybe get the wrong picture about what that means, but he wasn't in torments, he was in that place of rest that was in the heart of the earth for those saints. Now, when you, when you come through the Bible, you see there's a change at the resurrection of Christ. After the resurrection of Christ, 
the place of paradise is described as being in heaven. After the resurrection of Christ, believers are described as going not, not into the earth after death, but into heaven. Okay, and that's, that's part of what Peter's talking about here when he talked about loosing the pains of death. There's a complete change in, in the arrangement of things. And when Christ rose from the dead, he took those, those saints that were in the earth, he took them up into heaven. When you get into the book of Revelation and you see where the saints are waiting for the, the Lord to establish his kingdom on the earth, where are they? They're not in the earth. They're in heaven. All right? And so it's an important change to, to keep in mind in the word of God. Uh, so if we go back to our text then in Acts chapter 2. So Peter says that his soul was not left in hell. And he, was, he, was not, he talked about his flesh resting in hope. And that his flesh did not see corruption. Now, just his soul, I mean, his soul could be delivered from hell, and yet his flesh could still see corruption, right? But what the Lord did was he took that soul that was in that that place in the earth, he brought it out of that place, put it back into that body, back into that, that physical flesh of Christ, before the flesh could see corruption. Before that flesh could, could uh, rot away, that soul was put back into that flesh, and the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Now, Peter, in, in you know, understanding this passage this way, it's obvious that none of that can apply to David. All right? David isn't the one that the passage is talking about, but rather the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that the passage is talking about. And you see that, that Peter seems to indicate that David appeared to have some knowledge uh, that he was not just talking about himself. You see in verse 30, it says, Therefore, speaking of David, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. You see, David, David didn't know how all of this was going to play out, but David knew a little bit about what was going to happen. When he talks there about David knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him uh, that he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, go back to, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Here in 2 Samuel 7, we see one of the great covenants of Scripture. You know, you have the, the Abrahamic covenant, you have the Palestinian covenant, you have the, the covenant of the law, but here you have a covenant with David. This is sometimes referred to as the Davidic covenant. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Now, here you have the Lord telling David about a house he's going to build for him. Not, again, not a physical house, but a royal house. And he says he's going to do it with David's seed after David is dead. Now, if you were to, to you know, read this and then continuing read, continue reading on a little bit farther in the Bible, you would get to a son of David named Solomon. 
And Solomon is described in Scripture as being the wisest man ever to live. People came from all over the world to hear Solomon not just speak about being a king, but, but lecture on all kinds of topics, uh, you know, the, the uh, physical sciences, uh, philosophy, all of these different things. People would come, and in fact, many people were saved. Many people were brought to the Lord because they saw the greatness of Solomon's kingdom, and they would come and they would hear about the Lord who had given that greatness to Solomon. And you would say, you might, as you, you read that far, you might say, oh, here, here, this must be the fulfillment of it. Here's the seed of David that God's going to use. He's going to establish his kingdom forever. But, you know, you, you'd read a little bit farther, and you'd get to after the death of Solomon, and you'd see how Sol, under Solomon's son, then there was a civil war, and the kingdom was divided, and you have Israel split up into Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and two different kings. You have these two, two lines of kings then, and then you might have to scratch your head. Because even though this might be partially fulfilled in Solomon, it's really not fulfilled there, it's fulfilled in Christ. Uh, when it says that he will establish his throne forever, and that kingdom forever. Now, there is no kingdom in Israel today, um, and, and there is no king in Israel descended from David today. If the prophecy is only talking about Solomon, then God lied, because that kingdom was not established forever. But the reality is that there is a king, there is a king and there is a kingdom that will be established in Israel that will be forever and it will be somebody of the seed of David. See, this is the passage that Peter's referring to when he says that David knew that God was going to raise up Christ from him. See, see David... Uh, According to Peter, David knew Solomon wasn't the fulfillment of this. He knew it would be fulfilled in Christ. And so Christ is referred to in many places as the seed of David, that seed that would come, uh, that would come after David who would be established forever. When you read down through that passage, realize that it can only be completely fulfilled in Christ. And so Peter can say, he can point to that quote by David and, and say definitively, David's not speaking about himself. David knows that this would be fulfilled in Christ and that, that Christ, that the Lord Jesus, would be raised up to sit on his throne. Go, go back to Acts chapter 2. In fact, the, the throne of, of Judah, that throne at, at Jerusalem, is called the throne of David. And when I say the throne, I'm not, I'm not referring to the, you know, the physical seat, whatever, whatever it was. The Bible describes actually what the throne looked like. But rather the, that position as king at, at Jerusalem is referred to as the throne of David. Because David was the one to whom the Lord made that promise. And, and, and you see what Peter says here about why Christ is raised up. He, Peter is still putting the focus completely on this kingdom. Remember that when Christ first sends out the disciples to preach, what were they preaching? They were preaching the kingdom is at hand, right? Now with the, with the rejection of Christ, that, that uh, message of the kingdom at hand is put on hold. But you see what he's still saying? He's saying Christ is raised up to sit on David's throne. David knew that God was going to raise up Christ to sit on his throne to be king over Israel. That's the significance that Peter is placing here on the resurrection of Christ is that they have not thwarted God's plan to make Jesus the king. They've not thwarted God's plan to have him sit on the throne at Jerusalem, but that God has raised up the Lord Jesus Christ to sit on David's throne. His soul was not left in hell. His flesh didn't see corruption, but the Lord raised him up for the express purpose of him sitting on David's throne. 
And, and so he says in verse 31, Acts 2.31, He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Verse 32, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. Peter says that, that, he says, we all are witnesses, speaking of himself and the disciples, although many of the people there at Jerusalem would also have been witnesses. Christ, it wasn't like Christ just stayed in private after he rose from the dead. Many people saw him. Many of the, the people standing there would have seen him. Now, I'm sure they had various ways to rationalize what had happened um, and, and, you know, be able to see this man that they saw put to death and yet not believe in him. But Peter says that, that uh, he and the disciples, there are witnesses that God has raised up Jesus, and he says that he's been exalted by the right hand of God. Uh, that, that psalm talked about him being set at the right hand of God, and, and here he says that Christ has been exalted at the right hand of God, having received, he says, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. The Lord Jesus Christ, you realize in that, in that Godhead, where you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is a, there's, a, there's a hierarchy in that Godhead. Jesus Christ didn't just go and do anything of himself. He did what the Father gave him to do. And likewise, the Holy Spirit, same kind of thing. And so what he says here is that, that the Holy Ghost has been delivered to the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's received that promise of the Father. He rose from the dead. He received that promise of the Spirit, and now he was shedding it forth. The Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples that he had to go away so that he could send another comforter, the Holy Ghost, to them. And so Christ, when he ascended up into heaven, when he, when he sat down there at the right hand of God the Father, now he's able then to, to shed forth that Holy Ghost. And so Peter doesn't just attribute what's going on there to the Holy Spirit independently. He really attributes it to Christ. The speaking in tongues, the, you know, those miraculous signs, it's Christ doing those things. Now, he's using that agency of the Holy Spirit in them in order to do it. And, and you, say, you see, he says, He hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. Verse 34, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and and Christ. He once again appeals to David, and this time he's, he's uh, quoting from a different psalm. This time he's quoting from uh, Psalm 110, and let's quickly turn back there to Psalm 110. See what he says there. Psalm 110 verse 1 says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Um, he says, The Lord said unto my Lord. Now there's two lords there. Right? And, and you see, the first Lord, probably in your Bible, is in all capital letters, which means it's Jehovah God. When, when the Hebrew word is Jehovah or Yahweh, it usually in your English Bible will be in all capital letters. And so it's Jehovah God, God the Father here, saying to the one who David calls my Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. 
The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, the Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. Now, Christ, uh, Peter here only speaks about the... the uh, first verse there because he's focusing on the resurrection but you notice what the rest of the psalm is about he sits at the right hand until he makes his enemies his footstool and then the rest of that psalm goes on to describe that even to describing there won't even be places for all the dead bodies right now uh to to the unbelievers that are there listening to this this is a strict warning He's warning them that this one that they rejected, this one that they put on a, on a cross, has not only raised from the dead, but he's been exalted, he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's going to make his enemies his footstool, you see. Uh, who are his, I mean, those ones that killed him would be his enemies, right? Um, and you see the warning there is they're the ones that are going to come under his judgment. He's been given all power. He's been made Lord and Christ, the same Jesus at the end of verse 36. That same Jesus whom ye have crucified, God's made him both Lord and Christ. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.